Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. If you have your Bibles, would you open to the sixth chapter of Matthew? What I want to do this morning is I want to look at a portion of Scripture here, and I want to look at it with two different devices, if you will. I want to look at it with a wide-angle lens that sees kind of the whole landscape and takes in kind of the shape and the contour of the truth that is there, point that, that truth out, and then I want to look in one part of the passage, I want to pick up a microscope and I want to look very closely, very intricately at one great statement that Jesus makes. The passage overall that we're going to look at is Matthew chapter 6, 25 to 34. And what I want to do first of all is I just want to read through this passage and take it in in one glimpse. And as we're doing that, I want you to just ask the question, kind of look for this answer. What is the big truth in this section of Scripture? What is the big key idea here? So Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 25, down to verse 34. This is the teaching of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so closes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day, is its own trouble. So first of all, just looking at that in one glimpse, did you see the big idea, the repeated theme that Jesus mentions four different times in those few verses? Let me just highlight them. Verse 25, do not be anxious about your life. Verse 28, why are you anxious about Close, verse 31, do not be anxious 
saying, what shall we eat or drink or wear? And then verse 34, do not be anxious about tomorrow. So the big idea, the big truth is this. Do not be, what church? Anxious. Do not be anxious. Your translation, if you're reading in another translation like the NIV, do not worry. Do not be anxious. Do not worry. Everything else in this text is meant to expand upon, to drive that truth home that Jesus wants to communicate, to drive it home to your heart and to your mind and to your emotions so that you can apply this truth and live a life that is free of worry and anxiety. And let me just make this point as we begin. Isn't it incredible that we have a God that actually cares about whether or not we live in anxiety and anxiousness? He doesn't want that for us. He doesn't want that for us. Jesus said the kind of life that he came to bring, John 10.10, is a life abundant, a life to the full. He doesn't want us to live a life of anxiety and worry that is defeating. He wants us to live a full life, a life of peace and of joy. So what we're going to do first of all is we're going to take a wide-angle lens and we're just going to look kind of at the contour of this text, if you will, and see what some of the truths are that will help us not to be anxious or not to worry. I'm going to show you three reasons not to worry from the words of Jesus. The first one is in Matthew 6, 25 and 26. Let me read those verses again. Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Verse 26, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And here comes the truth, are you not of more value than they? Are you not of more value than they? So the logic is this. Jesus says, the birds of the air, they do not labor, they do not sow or reap, but the God of heaven takes care of them. He actually watches over them and gives them their food throughout the year, day by day. And the point that Jesus makes is, if God does that for them, what is He going to do for you? Meaning, are you not much more valuable to God than the birds of the field? So here's the first reason, logical, profound reason not to worry, and it is this, your Father has created you with eternal significance. 
Your Father has created you with eternal significance. I want you to see specifically the words that Jesus uses here. When he is highlighting who feeds the birds of the air, did you see what he titled the one that feeds the birds of the air? Look at it again. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Your heavenly Father feeds them. He is trying to drive the point home here of your inherent worth to God the Father. And the birds do not have God as their Father. It's not their Father that feeds them. It's your Father. And if the Creator will feed the birds, what will the Creator who is your Father do for you? He will certainly Take care of you. Jump down to verse 28. We'll come back to verse 27 for a minute. But jump down to verse 28, 29, and 30 because the same idea is here that we're talking about. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, the great lavishly wealthy King Solomon. Even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? You see the contrast he makes here again? He's now talking about the grass of the field and the flowers, and he says, look at how lavishly beautiful God provides for the grasses of the field. And here is the difference. The grass of the field is just alive for a moment and then it's thrown into the fire and is burned. It doesn't last. But you, but you, you're clothed with eternal significance. You're something different than the rest of creation. You're not like the birds of the air. You're not like the grass of the field. You see, you and I were created in the image of God. That makes us eternally significant. You and I as humanity had the breath of God breathed in to us at creation. Read the account in Genesis. God put His own breath in us. That made us immortal beings. We're not just here and then gone forever. We are going to live on after this body is dead. We are eternally significant. And so Jesus is making the logical conclusion presenting a logical development of thought that if God the creator takes care of the birds and the grasses of the field if he feeds the bird day in and day out and if he clothes the grasses of the field with beauty what is he going to do for you how much more He cares for you, how much more inherently valuable you are than the birds and the grass. So number one reason why you should not worry is because your Father created you with eternal significance. Number two, Jesus says we should not worry because worry is absolutely powerless to benefit us in any way. Look at verse 27. And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Folks, here's the truth. Worry 
accomplishes no benefit. And we could even build a case on the opposite side of that. That worry and anxiety bring a lot of damage, don't they? They seriously affect life. They affect us emotionally. They affect the quality of life. And they can certainly affect us physically and shorten our lifespan. Stress and anxiety and worry does that. So Jesus makes this second point on the passive side of the argument. And he says, why are you worrying? What are you going to accomplish by worrying? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. You're not going to add one hair to your head. You're not going to add one second to your lifespan. Worry is not going to produce any benefit in your life. Third reason not to worry. Here's his point. Number three, your father knows your needs. Verse 31 Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Verse 32, For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. You see, combine this truth with what he has already been communicating. He's building an airtight case against worry and anxiety in the life of a son or a daughter of God. Don't worry because your Father created you eternally significant and He has promised you that He is going to care for you because you're inherently more valuable than them. And don't worry thinking, man, I wonder if God knows what I'm going through. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows all of your needs before you are aware of them. That's what Jesus is communicating here in point number three. Your Father knows that you need them all. He created you. He is fully aware of what your needs are. So don't worry because you're created with eternal significance. Don't worry because it doesn't benefit you in any way. And don't worry because God your Father, your perfect heavenly father knows every one of your needs so don't worry so the logic has been profound but the answer is incomplete all that Jesus has done to this point is dealt with the passive the negative side of the argument he's told us what not to do but now He is going to give us a proactive step to take. He's going to give us something that we should do. And here is where the real power against anxiety and worry comes into play. You see, Jesus is not passive. Jesus is an initiator. Jesus is proactive. Let me just read some statements that I wrote down in preparing this about Jesus, the great initiator, the great proactive God. It was his voice that broke the silence of a dark, empty void and said, let there be light. It was out of nothing that he spoke something into existence. It was his initiative that saw a wicked world and told Noah to build a boat. 
It was his call to Abraham that established a brand new nation of people. It was the announcement of his birth that broke and shattered the darkness on that lonely hillside with the shepherds with an announcement at his birth that said, peace on earth. See, one was coming that was going to be peace. It was his face. Think about this as Jesus, the initiator. Jesus, toward the end of his life at about 33 years old, Scripture says that he set his face resolutely toward Jerusalem. And the context is teaching this, that he knew he was going there to die. And what he did was he set his face proactively, took the initiative to pursue his own death at Jerusalem, knowing that's what he was going there to do, to die. It was Jesus' eyes that looked into the eyes of his traitor, Judas, just before the betrayal, and said to him, what you must do, go do quickly. And it was Jesus, the great initiator, the proactive God that on the cross said this, hanging there, having completed his mission that his father had sent him to complete, cried out and said, it is finished. And then, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You see, Jesus Christ is the great proactive God and what he is going to give us here in one verse within this passage, is a proactive step. He's not just a passive God that tells us what not to do. He gives us an active, initiating step that will help to defeat worry and anxiety in our life. In fact, if we will apply verse 33 of Matthew chapter 6, it will deal the death blow to worry and anxiety in our life. And here is the truth of verse 33. Here's the proactive step. Jesus said, but, I've given you the negative. I've told you what not to do, but, now I'm going to tell you what to do. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So here's what I want to do here. I want to pick up the microscope and I want to look precisely, closely, intricately at four words within this proactive statement. Four words that really communicate one idea, a truth that if we will apply to our lives will defeat worry and anxiety. And the first word is this, seek. Jesus said, but seek. That word there means just what it appears to mean. It means to look for, to pursue. Jesus said, you're worried about and pursuing many things in life, but I'm going to give you something else to pursue. You see, the answer is not simply to cease pursuing the wrong things, but to begin to pursue the right thing. 
Look at verse 32 for a minute. Jesus said, For the Gentiles seek after all of these things. Well, Jesus really understands the human condition. It's true of you and I here today. All of us are in pursuit of something. All of us are in pursuit of something. It's not if we're pursuing something, it's what are you pursuing. So I ask you this morning, I believe Jesus is asking us through this teaching this morning, what are you pursuing in life? What are you really after? What are your desires? What are your aspirations in life? He's wanting to tell us what it is that we should ultimately be pursuing. Next word I want you to focus on. So I'm going I'm to give that first word, seek. I'm going to kind of put this in uh, four different words. Try to help it be memorable with the same letter. The first word for seek is pursue. So think what Jesus is telling us is to pursue something. Secondly, but seek first. But seek first. The word that I want to associate with that is Priority. Priority. So we have pursue and then priority. You see, before Jesus tells us what we are to pursue, He tells us what place it is to have in our life. And let me try to help you to understand what He means by this word first. He doesn't mean, in the Greek here, He doesn't mean just First in a long list of things that you're pursuing, like I want this to be at the top of your list, just above number two and three and four and five and everything else on the list. It's not just an order issue that he's talking about. The emphasis here in the Greek is this. What he wants you to do is to pursue this thing as your ultimate priority, meaning everything else that you are after in life needs to be run through the grid of this one overarching, all-important area of life. That it is really the principle by which you sift everything else in life. That's what he's telling us here when he says to seek first. That he wants to give us something that should be the guiding principle that governs every other aspect of our life and the things that we are after. They all need to fall under the principle of this one all-encompassing truth. So we could ask the question like this. As we have things in life that we're after, is this desire complementary or competitive to the principle that Jesus is establishing here? This principle of seeking Him first as the ultimate priority. Let me make it even more specific. We could ask things like this in our day-to-day decisions. Will this move that I'm considering? Will this purchase? Will this employment opportunity? Will this dating relationship? Will this school? Will this career advancement? Will this recreational activity? Will this hobby? Will this friendship compete or complement this overarching principle of what Jesus Christ is telling me to make as my ultimate pursuit in life? And if these things 
compete with that, then they're the wrong things. If they complement that, then we can view them as positives and not negatives. So, pursue as your priority what? Look at verse 33 again. But seek first the kingdom of God. But seek first the kingdom of God. I'm going to give you a word for that, and the word is presence. To seek God's presence. Let me explain where I'm getting that from the kingdom of God. When Jesus was standing before Pilate on trial, right before his sentence to the cross and his crucifixion, Jesus said to Pilate that he was a king. And Pilate asked him about that, and Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. Pilate, I'm not talking to you about what you're thinking about. I'm talking about a different kind of a kingdom. And what we know from the Word of God is that the kingdom of God is that which is enthroned on the hearts of those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They enthrone Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior, their King in their life. That He wants to live with you in your life as King. And how did He make that possible? He said this to His disciples. It's real, they were really sad about what He was saying because He was talking about leaving. And they were brokenhearted. And Jesus said, listen, it's good that I go. It's actually for your benefit if I leave. Because if I go, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, my Spirit, to come and live inside of you. You see, I have been with you kind of externally here for the last three years. But what's going to happen when I go back to heaven is I'm going to send you my Spirit and that means I'm going to actually come and dwell inside of you much closer than just an external proximity. My presence is actually going to be dwelling in your life. My person is going to be in you so that you can have intimate fellowship day in and day out wherever you go, whatever you do with my presence, my very person. So I believe what Jesus is teaching us to pursue here in light of that concept is to pursue his presence day in and day out. That we would do this. We've talked about three words so far, that we would pursue as our ultimate priority the presence of Jesus Christ in our day-to-day life. Do you get up in the morning and think about, wow, Morning, Lord, looking forward to spending the day with you today. Looking forward to walking with you and learning from you and enjoying your presence today. Is 
Jesus a forethought in the morning or is he an afterthought at night? He wants you to be pursuing him and his presence as your priority. And then number four, a fourth phrase that I want to draw your attention to in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and here it is, His righteousness. His righteousness. The word I want to associate with that is purity. Purity. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ... Your Father in heaven has one goal for your life. You, you hear me say this all the time, and I'm going to say this as long as I have breath and I'm a preacher. Father God has one ultimate goal for you, and it's to be like Jesus. That's what He wants for you. The Bible is very clear about that. He wants you to grow into the full stature of the measure of Jesus Christ. He wants you to put on the mind of Christ. He wants you to think like Christ. He wants you to talk like Christ. He wants you to act like Christ. He wants your character and your desires and your motivations to be modeled after and shaped after the person, the presence of Jesus Christ in your life. You see, that's what real living is. Jesus is the author of life. He knows what life is supposed to be about. He knows what its desires and its focus and its aspirations and its dreams are to be about. He knows what's going to give you abundance. And he knows what will defeat you in anxiety and worry. And so he says to us, here is how you defeat the crippling effects of anxiety and worry. You do this. You pursue as your first priority in life the presence of Christ and His purity. What do you mean His purity, Brad? Well, Jesus Christ was a perfectly righteous, perfectly righteous man. Now, we all fall infinitely short, but the person of the Holy Spirit lives within the follower of Christ to help us become more like Him, that more of His purity becomes ours in our day-to-day lifestyle. You see, Jesus Christ, that word purity, really refers to all of one substance and none of anything else, right? Like the purity of gold that's had all of the alloys in the non-precious metals burnt out of it. Our lives are to be becoming more and more refined like Christ's life so that our life reflects His righteousness. The world needs to see that from us. They need to see that so that they can see that there really is a difference that God really is alive in the person of Jesus Christ and He transforms lives. But the point here that Jesus is making is this. His big idea is do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry 
because you're created with eternal significance of such value to the Father. And do not worry because you cannot benefit your life in any way through worry. And do not worry because your Father knows exactly what you need. That's the negative side of it. And then here's how you ultimately defeat worry. You start pursuing as your number one priority in life His presence and His purity. And if you'll do that, you'll begin to find out what life is really meant to be. And the anxiety and the worry will flee because you'll be spending time with the essence of life day in and day out and you'll see in Him the source that can meet all your needs and abundantly more. That if He's walking through life with you and you're walking close to Him, what else could you need? He'll provide them all. Would you please stand? Let me just pray as the worship team comes. If you want to come to the altars on either side up here and pray or have one of our elders, someone pray for you, you can certainly come forward as we sing this song of closing. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you care enough about us to care about our emotional well-being. That you love us enough that you want us to live a life of peace and joy, not fretting with worry and anxiety. Lord, I know that there are some here this morning that are plagued by worry and anxiety. It's just a way that the enemy comes to attack them over and over again. I'm, I'm pleading with you, God, for them this morning. I'm pleading that you would let this great truth of Jesus Christ, the one that conquered death and took all that the world could throw at him and came out victorious, I pray that His truth that He spoke would go right to those hearts and minds and replace worry and anxiety with faith and peace and joy. Pray that You would help us, God, help me to live a life that gets up every day and remembers what my priority is supposed to be. It is to be a life lived today with you. And that everything else will be conditioned by that one great truth. God, help me to remember that. Help everyone here in the sound of my voice to remember that when they get up tomorrow morning and Tuesday morning and throughout the week to remember these words of Jesus to begin to develop that habit of every morning getting up and saying, I'm going to be pursuing the presence and the purity of Jesus Christ in my life today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.